0: These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say I'm rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich, white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I overcame and sat down on my father, with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Father, we pray today that we would hear what you are saying to us. Father, what I have to say is not very powerful. It may be interesting, but it's not very powerful in our lives. But when you speak to us, when we hear your voice speaking to our spirit. Lord, it's a powerful thing, and so I would pray for that, for each one here today, that each one would hear what you are wanting to say to us. And so we invite your presence with us as we look at your word today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is a passage I've chosen to conclude our series on sexuality you haven't been with us, or maybe even if you have been with us, you may be going, what does this have to do with sexuality? Well, life is about more than sexuality, and really, sex in and of itself is more than what might meet the eye in in God's design. In fact, I share the first message that Sexuality is really something that is a shadow of, some, of a reality. In other words, the sexuality that we experience here, the sexuality that God designed, which is sexuality in a marriage between a husband and wife, is, is really uh, it's a foreshadowing of something to come. That is something that serves a very important purpose in this age, but it will not be something that serves a purpose in the age to come, because it will be replaced by something far greater, the reality itself. So you're saying, what what would it be that this shadow represents? It represents an eternal covenant relationship with God, a relationship of, of, of covenant love that God is making towards you, He's offering towards you, He's offering towards me, which will exist for all of eternity. That's the reality. It's intimacy with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit in a way that we just kind of get a little taste of here and now. And For those of us who've come to faith, you know what that was like when you were apart from God, and, and then you trusted Christ, and you began to experience some things inside of you that was pr- pretty amazing, and, and it began to, to fill up this hole there, not fully, but partially. What I'm talking about is the, the complete filling of that desire to be one with God, to know God in a, in a very, very deep way. And so we see that in God's design, sexuality is intended to be between a man and a woman in a husband and wife, lifelong covenant-committed relationship. And the reason for that is because it is reflecting the covenant, long-term, unending relationship between Christ and his church. Christ is the initiator. The Bible says when we were lost, God initiates His love towards us. Then we respond to God. In Ephesians 5, Paul talks about the, the, the role of the husband in the marriage is to be the initiating lover. And that the wife is to be the loving responder and he talks about these different roles, and then at the end he says something very interesting. He says, but I'm really talking about Christ and the church. So we see that husband-wife relationship was intended to model the ultimate relationship of Christ and his church. That's why same-sex marriage destroys the metaphor. It no longer reflects the Christ figure and the, the initiating lover and the submitting lover. And so we see here that God's design is, is very clear in his word, and it's obvious to all of us, I think, how far beyond those boundaries our culture is headed. The closeness, the pleasure, the joy, the meaningfulness of, of sexuality and marriage is just a shadow, a hint of what's to come in our relationship to God through Christ. And and therefore, too, those that uh, do not experience a sexual relationship in this life, it's not like they've missed out. Uh, They maybe missed the shadow, but they have not missed the reality. And so we see that the reality is ultimately our relationship to Christ and even Jesus Christ, who is fully human, who who lived amongst us, did not experience that aspect of, of human life. So we have this analogy which God has given to us. <clears throat> so what does this passage have to do with that? Well, let's, let's move into the passage here. Let me just give you a little bit of background to this church. Uh, this is something the Spirit of God was writing to a group of people. It could have been a group of people like this who lived in a specific city, and there were seven different churches, and the Spirit of God had something different to say to every church, depending on what was going on in the church. So, this is a church of Laodicea. Now, we know some things about this town. Uh, we know it was a very affluent town, they were pretty well off. It was a center of banking, there's a lot of gold, which was the currency then, that was in this community. We know that it was known for its clothing industry. It had black wool from black sheep, and it was sought after. It was imported or exported, and uh, they, it, it came out of Laodicea. It, was a very, uh, it resulted in a lot of economy in this area. And then they also had medical schools there and were known for an eye salve, which was used to help people with their eyesight. And so, in writing here, the Spirit is going to use all of these metaphors to speak to the people in this church because they they could connect with these metaphors. These people had become very fluent. Their checkbooks were doing well. They had lots of clothes in their closet. Their IRAs were full. And they were going, we've got it made. We're, We're set. And this is what he writes in verse 17. You say I'm rich. I've acquired wealth, do not need a thing. But you don't realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. You don't realize that in one moment you're going to die. And how much are you going to leave? You're going to leave what Rockefeller left and the other wealthy men. They left it all. They left it all. And at that point, what will you have? You will only have those things which are eternal. And so he says to them, you do not realize you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. And so he he gives them counsel here. In verse 18, this is what he says. I counsel you, number one, and they could connect with all these metaphors, to buy gold refined in the fire so you can become rich. The first thing white clothes to wear, interesting in contrast to the black clothes of the wool, white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. So here these three metaphors are are tapped into, and God is inviting to give them true riches, things that will last. And so in verse 19, he says, those I love, I rebuke and discipline. Those I love. Now, in, in the Bible, it was written in a different language. It wasn't written in English. It was written in Greek. And so we see here that there are five different words for that word love, where he says, those that I love. So these are the five words. And uh, if you were reading this in the Greek, you'd see these different words being used. Uh, the first one is mania, and that is, and that's where we get the word manic. It's an obsessive love. It's like, I love ice cream. I have to have ice cream every night. You're obsessed with it. And this kind of a love, it, it can be positive, but it can also be negative. It can be something that is controlling you. So, this is one form of the word love. The second one is the word eros. This is a more erotic love. This is a sexualized love. This is a romantic love. Again, this can be good, but it can also be out of bounds. And so this is more of a romantic kind of love. The third one is philos, or Oh, and that is a friendship. That's a companionship. That's someone that you are very intimately know personally. It's not, necess- it's not a romantic kind of love like a husband may have with, a, with his wife, but it is a friendship, deep friendship kind of love. The fourth one is storge, which is a family love. It's the kind of love the parent has for a child. It's that, that kind of uh, love. And then lastly is agape love. And agape love is a love which is simply based on a commitment that someone makes. So God has made a commitment to love us in John three sixteen. for God so loved the world. That word is agape. God has made a commitment to love anyone, even people that have their hand in his face or have ignored him, uh, whatever it is, that kind of love. So what kind of word do you think is used here in w- Revelation? Which of these three, five words do you think is used? Nobody dares. It's the word phileo. This is not the kind of love God has for the unbelieving world. This is the kind of lo- lo- love that God has for you. Those whom I desire to know intimately. That's what he's saying here. He's not saying those that I've made a commitment to love, whether they honor me or not. No, this is, this is those, that I, those that I desire to be in a relationship, a companionship of intimacy with. Those I rebuke and I discipline. And so he's speaking here to the church. So what does he say? Let's just walk through Revelation Three first thing he says some translations will say behold the niv says here i am other translations say behold which means i want you to i want you to look at this now behold this take a look at it if you behold something you look at it so here's a picture he's going to paint this picture and, and my goal is that you would this morning is that you would see this picture in your mind Behold, I stand. This is Jesus talking now. He's saying, I am standing. I'm not sitting. I'm not doing some work in another room. I'm standing right outside your door. And when someone's standing at your door, they're waiting. They're anticipating. They're they're hoping that, that you will open that door. So I want you to see Jesus Christ is standing So where is he standing? He says, I stand at the door. So you live in a house, right? You live in a house, and when you, you're in that house, and the door is where you decide to let people in or out. You lock the door at night because you don't want to let just anybody in. And so the door is where, is normally where you go if you want to get into somebody's house, you go to the door. So Jesus is not trying to crawl into your life through a window. He's not not breaking down a door in the back. He's coming to the door of your life, and he's standing outside of it, and this is what he's doing. He's knocking. Behold, I'm standing, and I'm knocking at your door. So The Spirit is saying here, behold this. Take a look at this. Jesus is standing. Can you see him there? He's knocking. He's not forcing his way in. He's not... Folks, this is the God of the universe. This is a God that has enough power to put the Milky Way in place and create the sun and the moon, but he's not going to break down the door in your life. He could force his way in, but the picture here is that he's standing And he's knocking at the door. And then he says this, If anyone. Now the translation here of anyone is anyone. If anyone. I don't care who it is. Anyone. Doesn't matter where you've been, what you've been doing. It doesn't matter how far away from God a person has come. doesn't matter what's going on in these people's lives. He says, If anyone. Anyone, here's my voice. So now he adds something to the picture. So he's not just knocking. He's knocking. He's going, Tom, Julie. You, know how you ever come to somebody's door and you knock and the answer waves so you start calling their name? Why do you do that? You do that because you want them to hear your voice. Because when they hear your voice, they'll know who's there knocking at the door. And so, the Lord wants you to know and he wants me to know that he's the one that's standing outside your door knocking at the door. Behold, I stand at the door and knock and if anyone hears my voice and does what? And opens the door. So what do you have to do? You have to open the door. He's not going to open it. He's not going to open the door. You, you are going to have To open it. He's not going to break in. He's not going to force his way in. Your role is to open the door. And if you will open the door, Jesus says, I will walk in. I will come in. Anyone who opens the door, I will come into him. You open the door, you don't look out and go, where did he go? I thought I heard someone here. Where's Jesus? You don't have to go find him. If you will open the door, he will come in. He is the initiating lover. He, is, he will make that move into your life. I will come into him, and this is what he will do. It it doesn't say, notice. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will ream him out for making me stand out there so long. It's not what it says. You open the door, Jesus says, I'll come in, and here's what we're going to do. Here's the first thing we're going to do. We will sit down and have a meal together. Uh, I will eat with him and he with me. And in this culture, in this culture, I mean, they didn't have all of the entertainment stuff, all the stuff that went on. You worked all day, and the highlight of the day was when work was done, and you could sit down and relax and rest and enjoy a meal, and it usually lasted two to three hours. And people reclined, and they just sat, and they talked, and they enjoyed each other's company, and they reflected back on the day. That's, that's the picture here. When Jesus says, I'll come in and eat with you, what the people, what the people heard in that day was, I'm going to come. I want to sit down and chill out with you and just enjoy being in your presence. He's not going to go through a list of what you did or didn't do in the day or what you haven't accomplished or say, hey, let's get to work. That's not what he says here. He says, we'll sit down and anyone that opens the door, we're, we're going we're to have this time of connecting together. God doesn't want to just be in your home or in your heart. He wants you to open that door, and to invite him in. He wants that response. So these verses, these verses have been used to talk about people who have never believed before, and I think that's fine. I think it works for that, but that is not the first application of this verse. This verse was for believers. This verse is for people in the church. Again, for someone that has never invited Christ in. I think this is true. But in this situation, he's writing to people that have invited him in. Then they have, they, this relationship has gotten warm. Lukewarm. You see, in those days, there was hot springs, and they would pipe that water into Laodicea. They, they had clay... Uh, round pipes, very much like what we use today, and they would pipe water in from places. Hot springs came in from quite a distance. Cold spring, the cold water came from the mountains, but by the time it got to Laodicea, it was warm. And it also had this pungent taste to it. And sometimes people would take it, and it was lukewarm, and if it had a bad taste, they would spit it out. I mean, people knew all about that. So, when Jesus said, you know, because you're lukewarm, I, just, I feel like just spitting you out, they knew exactly what he was saying. It was so much more enjoyable to, to sit down in a hot spring. You know what lukewarm water's like if you're trying to warm up? Or if it's a hot day and the water's lukewarm, you know, cold water's good, hot water's good, but lukewarm, it just, Jesus said, that's the way I'm feeling about, about my relationship with you. It's just, it's just lukewarm. You ever feel lukewarm in your faith? You ever feel that? Like, just kind of, like it just, and maybe you're feeling that from, from your side of things. You're just feeling like this relationship is just kind of distant and not very meaningful. Well, this week, the writer here is, is giving us the solution. And the solution is not if you, if you look at it here, the solution is not that you need to work harder. The solution is, when you're feeling that, what you need to do is you need to open the door. You, you need to open the door. And you need to begin sharing an intimate meal with Christ. You need to begin sharing intimacy with Christ. That is God's deepest desire for you. Do you know that God doesn't need you to accomplish anything? God can accomplish everything he wants to accomplish without you and without me. Now, God invites us to work with him. He invites us to be involved in his ministry and and doing what he's doing. But ultimately... Ultimately, God wants all that we do to flow out of the experience of our relationship with Him in an intimate sort of way. That is His desire. And He finds great, great joy in that. I don't know if that's a new thought for you. I'm going to guess that there are people here that that is a new thought for you. That every day when the sun comes up and God sees your eyes open, they sink in. What am I, what are we going to experience together today in terms of relationship with this, my creation, this one that I've created? And that if during that day you take time to think about God, you take time to talk with him, you become aware of his presence, you live in relationship with him, that that brings great delight to the heart of God. That might be a new thought for you. But I believe that's what this text is saying. I mean, Jesus wouldn't be out there knocking at your door if he didn't want to see you. He's got plenty of other things to do. But anyone who hears my voice, every door he's knocking. That's a picture I believe he wants us to have. So, just in these next few minutes, what does this practically look like? So, we're talking here about opening the door. How do we open the door how do we open the door to Christ? How do we experience this intimacy with Him once we enter into a relationship with Him? Now, this is written to people who have entered into relationship with Him. They have realized that they're separated from God by their sin. They have understood that Jesus came to the cross to pay for that sin that through faith and trust in Christ their sins can be forgiven and this relationship can now be restored Uh, but they have drifted away from that so they have access to Christ and access to God but they've 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 fallen away they become lukewarm what do we do to 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 open this door to reestablish here's four things I'll mention number one is quality time and by the way These are the same things that work in a relationship with a good friend that you have. If you're married, this is what works with your spouse. What is it? You have to have quality time. If you're not spending time together, you're going to grow apart, right? I mean, if you're never talking, if you're never taking the time to talk personally, then you're going to grow apart. If you're not taking time to talk with God, you're going to grow apart undistracted times. These are, these are times when you're not multitasking with God. Now, some of you are very good at that, okay? But these are times when you're undistracted, you know? And maybe you can do this on the elliptical. You yeah, know, maybe you can do this when you're out walking. Uh, there, there are times when we can be... But this is time when you, are, when you can be focused on God, and it's not a group-type setting. You know, it's like when you're with somebody in a large group, you, you just don't have the same conversations when it's just the two of you. So when are the times when it's just the two of you, you and God? Are you taking that time in your life? You know, you say, well, how would, I, how would I talk to God? Well, you know, one of the, if you're wondering where to start, just start by, by going to the Psalms and Take a psalm and just start, read a line and then think about it and, and start praying it back to God. Here, here's for example, I open to, uh, here's a psalm, 106. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Wow. <clears throat> Give thanks to the Lord. Maybe I, should do, maybe I should try that. Maybe I should talk to God right now and just think about, what do I have to be thankful for? And all of a sudden you start thinking of all kinds of things. Wow, I've Half of the people, wow, well, half the people in the world don't own a pair of shoes. I've got shoes on my, I've got a closet full of shoes. God, I have so much. I'm not thinking about if I'm going to have a meal today or not. I don't even think about that. There's people in the world that are hoping to get one bowl of rice today. I mean, just to start to think about all that you have to be thankful for and start communicating that to God. And you know what? God will... God will show you things that you have to be thankful for. He's communicating with you. That's what I'm talking about here when we talk about a relationship with God. His love endures forever. His love endures forever. Think about that. That God's love for you will endure forever and ever. It will never end. There's never a time when God's love for you will end. Think about that, and you'll find your heart responding to God. We talk about communing with God and fellowship with God. That's what we're talking about. So if you're wondering where to start, just take his word and begin looking at it and praying it back to God. But take the time. Take the time. Put on your headphones and play some worship music and take, take the words of those songs, and, and, and as they touch your heart, give God praise and thanks for what he's done for you. That's what we're talking about in, in, in taking this time, so take that time. Number two, got to be real. you got to be transparent. You ever had somebody that you know and you just don't know them? It's like you don't know what they're thinking because they never really tell you. They're, you don't know what's going on in here. And maybe you have a friend where you know everything about them. I mean, when you see that look on their face, you know what they're thinking. You know things aren't good. You know know them really well. Why? Because they've been open and transparent and honest with you. You know, God, when you tell God something that's going on with you, he never says, oh, I wish you wouldn't have told me that. I mean, he already knows. He knows everything. He knows more about you than you know about you. And so, nothing's going to surprise him. <clears throat> maybe you're mad at God. Well, just because you don't tell him doesn't mean he doesn't know. And maybe you need to talk about that with him. If, if you want a relationship, if you want a close relationship, you have, you have to talk about what's going on in your heart. And for some of us, that's taking enough time to become aware of what's going on in our heart. We're not even, we don't even know what's going on with me. And so transparency, opening up your heart. I mean, the psalmists do this. Uh, they do this all the time. Psalm 22. Listen to, listen, to, uh, listen to David, a man after God's own heart. My God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? My God, I cry out day by day, but you do not answer by night and am and, and not silent. Yet you're enthroned as a holy one. You are the praise of Israel. In you our fathers put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried out to you and were saved. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. But I am a worm, not a man, scorned by men, despised by people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults. They say, he trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you. Even at my mother's breast, from birth, I was cast upon you. From my mother's womb, you've been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there's no one to help. Just pour your heart out to God. Be real with God. Be honest with God. He's inviting that. Uh. David was a man after God's own heart. He got really real with God. Number three, this is is so important. You you have to surrender and and submit your life to God. You will never know God intimately if if you're not surrendered to him. Because then there's a spirit of pride in your life because you're kind of acting independent from God and you're being your own person and pride will separate you in any relationship. It will certainly separate you in your relationship from God. You know, in Romans 1, we saw that the source of all of the sexualization of our culture and all of the ways that we depart from him is that man ceased to acknowledge God for who he was and ceased to glorify him by acknowledging his sovereign rule. So when you're your own boss and you're making your own decisions and you're drawing your own lines and you're being your own person, you're, you're walking this road, and God doesn't walk that road. He's walking this road. If you want to have intimacy with God, you've got to walk on that road. He doesn't walk the wide road. He walks the narrow road. If you're walking the wide road, God's going to be way over here, and you're going to be over here. And so one of the questions to ask besides, am I taking time, intimacy with God Am I being real with God? The third question to ask: Is there anything in my life that I'm doing that's contrary to what God says in His word that might be separating me, that might be the Bible uses these words. It says that when you invite Christ into your life that His Holy Spirit comes in, and it's through the Holy Spirit that you sense the presence of God. So, are you grieving? Are you quenching? the Spirit of God in your life. You're not, going to, you're not going to experience intimacy with God when we are grieving and quenching the Spirit through disobedience in our lives. Jesus said, those who love me, obey me. And so if there's nothing that comes to mind, then don't worry about it. If you're taking time to listen, you're into God's Word, God will show you if there's something that's out of line that you need to change. If you want to have experience a oneness and an intimacy and, and this fellowship with him, then you have to repent, as it says in the text. You have to be willing to change. That's what the word means. Here's number four. Quality time, transparency, submission and surrender. And number four is you need to understand this thing called companionship. God wants to be a companion. He doesn't just want to meet you in that quiet time when you, in the morning or whenever you do that. It's not just there. He, he wants to walk with you then through the entire day. In fact, through the presence of His Spirit in you, He is with you the whole day, whether you're aware of that or not. But He wants us to live in the awareness of His presence. So you walk out that door. It should be almost a picture that Christ is with you. And He's going to be in your first hour class He's going to be in that meeting at work as you're relating to people through the day. He's going to be wanting to give you the words to say and the attitudes to have and the wisdom to have and every decision that you're making. He wants to be this companion in your life. He wants to be with us. He has work that he wants to do through your life to impact other people in powerful ways. And so he wants to be in life with you through all the seasons of your life. Some of you have been married here a long time. Maybe you've had a friend that's a long-time friend. And you know what I'm talking about. You look back over your friendship and you go, man, we've been through a lot. There have been good times. There have been bad times. There have been great days. There have been terrible days. That's how it's going to be in your relationship with God. There's going to be seasons when it's been... God has seemed a long way off. And then there's going to be times when, when God just seems so close. But you know what? Your, your faith, you, you, you stick with it. You, you stay there with it. That's, that's what deepens the relationship and builds intimacy. It, it's part of that lifetime commitment together. You know, for rich, for, for better, for worse, for rich, for poor, and sickness and health till death do us part. You do that for 50 years and you're going to feel closer to somebody than you did in the first 10 years. And so it's it's doing life together. So let me conclude. If you don't have intimacy, then what do you have? You have religion. That's what you have. I do the I do the I go to church. I need to do that each week and you know, I need to give some money in the offering plate, and I need to live a moral life, and I need to be good, and hopefully one day I'll die, and I'll, I'll, I'll meet God, and he'll say, hey, you did a pretty good job. That's religion. That's what that is. It's not what Christ is interested in. He, he's interested in this relationship of intimate fellowship. He wants to come in and He wants to share a meal, and he wants to sit down, and he he wants you to invite him into his house to stay, not just for an evening, he wants to stay, he wants to renovate the house, he wants to be with you at every moment, everything you do, that constant companion. That's Christianity, and that's what God desires for you. You know, in the very end, in the very end of time, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, there's going to be streets of gold, and it's going to be amazing, I'm going to tell you what God is looking forward to in that new Jerusalem. Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away. There's no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, and I'm quoting now, this is what came from the throne. This is what he heard. This is what God is excited about. Now the dwelling of God is with men. And he will live with them. And they will be his people. And God himself will be with them. And he will be their God. That's what God is looking forward to. He is looking for the day when he can physically, presently, fully be with you and experience this relationship. Father, give us this picture today that, that you stand outside the door of our heart and you knock and you desire to come in and you desire to be eating with us. Your desire is not to be standing outside our home. It's to be in our home. It's to be with us. It's to be encouraging us and strengthening us and and giving us everything we need for each day and everything we need for each circumstance. That doesn't mean life's not going to be hard. Life may be very hard at times. See, you not simply want to take all that away, you want to walk through it with us. And so, Father, we pray that you would just open our eyes to this amazing truth today. And, uh, Father, might we experience this with you. Lord, whatever you've spoken uh, to us today, and I know you've done that individually. Might we heed your words to us today. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.
1: There's a place where scenes of grace delight. All the love I've never found like a flower. i you paid the price for my guilt and my shame jesus i come to the Oh, mm-hmm.